Harlots of History contains explicit language, overt sexual themes, and discussion of sensitive subjects. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to... <laughs> well, late night episodes always start out with like this. With like giggles. It's like the guys just realized like the anticipation of like beginning a recording session. It's just so fun. It's also, so we've fun. literally been talking to each other for the last like 30 minutes. Um, and we haven't seen each other. I was like, for, and like, also just be thankful that we get all that small like talk and just our personal stuff out of the way before we even start recording. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to hear some more of all that personal crap, we're going to be recording a Patreon episode at some point in the near future when we have Patreon. So hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> but it'll be soon. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, welcome to Harlots of History. I'm Emily. I, I don't identify myself as anything. <laughs> I'm sitting in my closet drinking wine. And I have to get up and study for a microbiology test in four hours. And I'm Kara Mia, and I am hiding out from my kids so I don't wake them up with a glass of wine. And I also have to get up in four hours because that is when my kids wake up. <laughs> oh, God. Your kids are like my cat. My cat wakes me up. If I my alarm, if I sleep through my alarm, my cat is there. We literally had a cat fight the other day. She was batting me, and I swatted her, and then she swatted me back, and it was really dramatic. I'm just gonna get right into it. Slide what? right in. No, I'm I, this quote that I'm gonna you're gonna hear oh, okay. who it's about in literally like thirty seconds, maybe even like three seconds. So hold your horses. Okay. Quote. This is kind of hard to even think about, but if you could put aside the fact that Ted Bundy was a terrible, murderous man, he was also a bad boyfriend. I hope that people, women, realize they don't need to settle. Some of the things were just plain. Flat out codependence on my part, accepting when things were going badly, thinking that it was something about me and that I needed to change. I hope that women don't do what I did, which was just settle for being treated not 100% truthfully. End quote. And so that is a quote from Liz Kendall, also known as Liz Klotfer. She changed her name, um, who was Ted Bundy's longtime girlfriend, and she was with him when he was committing the murder. So this is not the woman that was like obsessed with him and married him while he was in prison and had his baby. This is the woman that met him before he started killing or before he got caught for killing and then was with him basically while he got arrested. I, and she's our highlight I like, today. I, I like know next to nothing about this woman because anything that you ever hear about Ted Bundy or watch about him or anything, and I have not watched the newest, that, that thing on Netflix. What's it called? Uh, well, extremely wild, vile, evil. I don't know. I haven't yeah, but, yeah, so. anyways, but like I, everything I've ever really seen, she doesn't, they, they brush over her. And so that's the thing about this is like, I really wanted to do her. Unfortunately, most of what I have about her is centered around Ted because that's just like what people know her as. So there is a, there, I, I did, I read some articles. I watched some documentaries. There is a documentary on Amazon Prime that was just released. That is really good. It's really, really good. It's got Ooh. a terrible name, but it's called Falling for a Killer, like Ted Bundy something. But um, so I watched the first couple episodes and we still have more. And like we were really into them. Matt and I watched them on our day night <laughs> when our dog was out of town. <laughs> uh, our dog was out of town. She was on a business trip there. It's really, really good. And I really like it because they wanted to frame this centered in. And I, 
I'm getting ahead of myself. I talk about this later, but they wanted to frame this documentary centered, like how we center our episodes being like, what was going on at the time? Like women's lib, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Um, Setting the scene. It, and I'm going to get to that in like two paragraphs, but anyway, this quote really resonates with me. In fact, the whole story resonated with me to the like point where I was literally getting chills. When I listened to Liz talk about herself, I was shocked by how similar we are. Like I really identify being with a deceitful person, someone who's able to deceive you and your friends so well that you never see how evil they are until late. And when you do, it sends shivers down your spine. And I know you know who I'm talking about. My eyebrows are like really high up right now. You know what I mean? Like, yes, not this person didn't murder anyone. But when we realized that he was not the same, like who we thought and we realized like how it just, it just makes you like, right. It just makes you like, look back on the past, like three years. Like you, you just shocked. It's like, what, what else do I need to doubt about in my life? And I'm sure a lot of most, most people out there have experienced some level of this deceit, you know, like in their lives. Right. And I just, I, yeah. So she just, I, she's identified with her so much. And I want to give a trigger warning for our listeners and then for you as well, which I told you the other day I was going to. So there's a lot of similarities between me and her that like kind of sent chills, but there's also not personality wise, but just a lot of similarities between you and her as when you were a single mother living in Mm -hmm. Capitol. I mean, you weren't living in Capitol Hill when you were a single mother, but you lived in Capitol Hill. She lived in Capitol Hill. Like your kids were about the same age. Oh my gosh. Yeah. When you met your husband, when you met Ted Bundy. So I just, I want to let you know like that. And that's why I don't think you should watch the movie. I don't think you should watch it just because I think it would be too intense, but I'm going to tell you about it. So you don't have to watch it. Okay. Thank you. Yes. But just trigger warning and just (laughs) for anyone. Yeah. I mean, I'll pretty much for most of our episodes, but I just want it. This is everyone. Everyone needs a gatekeeper like Emily. Yeah. Just letting you guys know. (laughs) It's, I think it's a trigger for anyone who's ever been in a relationship with a man, because unless you've been in like the most perfect relationship ever, which doesn't exist, literally doesn't exist. I feel like most people can identify with being lied to, even, even if it's not by a partner, by someone, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So yeah. And the reason I'm telling the story is not because I want to talk about Ted. It's because I, I felt like I could have been Liz easily. Mm. And I think a lot of us could have been her. And so I think that's why these documentaries started coming out and why she started speaking out like recently within the last year. And this happened in the seventies. Like she met him 50 years ago and she just started talking about it pretty much. So Liz grew up in a Mormon family in Utah, which I can't relate to, but that's like the only thing she always felt like she was an outsider. Like she was extremely awkward. She was really introverted and didn't really know how to deal with that. I don't think that at in the sixties, that was really a thing and also there's no wikipedia page or anything about her so what i got from her is yeah i know or like i i tried her liz kendall i tried liz claffer and i couldn't find it i mean maybe i like missed it but i was just getting a lot of other articles so this is Mm -hmm. actually i mean i have a lot of really good primary sources from her so this is yeah so maybe it's Mm -hmm. a good thing she didn't have wikipedia but i don't really know that much about her growing up life just that she grew up mormon Mm. um so she had really low self-esteem which kind of, as you can see, for someone who is manipulative as Monday, that kind of like... He sniffed her out. Yeah, exactly. So she rushed a sorority and didn't receive a bid and took this really hard. And I understand that feeling. She started drinking to help her socially and learned that drinking helped her connect with people. And she started using that like because she felt like that was the only thing that helped her 
like even have a social conversation and be one with someone. She got married very young and had a daughter, but her husband, they were like 20. And I think in college, her husband was like partying all the time. And they just, they, it, they broke up pretty like soon after. I think her daughter Wait, was maybe was one. This, was this the college that you went to? No, 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 no. This was in Utah. Okay. Okay. Ted Bundy went to my college. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'll let yeah. you tell your story. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if I even put that in there, but yes, Ted Bundy, I went to university of Puget sound and Ted Bundy went there for the first year and then moved to uh, university of Washington. It's funny. Cause like a lot of people transfer after the first year at my college, but, and he actually, the sorority I was in at university of Puget sound, he was killing girls from that chap, from a different chapter, but at UW, which was another thing that creeped me out. And also I saw our letters like, and also Ted Bundy, killed two people at uh lake sammamish uh sunset beach where i take my kids swimming all the time i have pictures we've been there we celebrated emily's birthday there yeah Yeah. and if you listen if you listen to our mini set a couple weeks ago i think maybe two weeks ago we started talking about this and that was actually where we were like okay i'm i decided to do her so if any of this yeah so Okay, so she got divorced, and she moved to Seattle to get a fresh start. Like, she was driving through, and she was like, this is amazing. If anyone's been to Seattle, we know. What? You moved to Seattle to get a fresh start? What? And she moved to Capitol Hill. What? Okay, guys, guys, just so you know, I left Michigan to escape. Literally to escape. Not escape the state itself, but a certain person in the state and I took the train and boom, it deposited me on King street station and downtown Seattle. And I lived in Capitol Hill. Yeah. And I, fresh also, start. I also lived in Capitol Hill to get a fresh start from my scary person. Right. It's just Capitol yeah. Hill is the place of rebirth <laughs> and partying. <laughs> so, okay. So let's set the scene for when she met Ted. So Yes, as we talked about, Falling for a Killer, it's done really well. I, I do suggest people watch it if if that is something you're into. I, again, like, I'm not fascinated with, like, the serial killer aspect. I, like, for me, it's, like, the psychology. And then also a lot of times for me, it's, like, the women. And, and like, as we talked about in Victorian England, it was kind of, like, how did this happen? How and I and well, I want to know more about the victims. I want to know about the people in their lives. Like, how did they? You know. Well, and also, like, we have to remember that we often just think about serial killers and the people that they killed. We don't Not think people about lives. The people that they also have affected, and to realize, like, that the the amount of people they have affected is just so huge. It often they define a lot of aspects of a generation, you know? And that was, and that was really like with him too, because this is like right when serial killers were becoming a thing, as you know, if you watch Mindhunter, (laughs) Um, but they were literally (laughs) asking people that knew him when they started putting his name out. Cause he would go up to girls and be like, I am Ted. So when they've got his picture in the paper, they'd be like, I'm looking for a Ted, which is like, come on, don't use your real name, dude. But I mean, thank you for using your name because you got caught, but they so they were asking his teachers and stuff and they were like what what they thought was that a serial killer would be like obviously not normal quote unquote like out you know they would be able to tell and they were like no 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 he was like fine and that's the thing is people didn't understand 
Well, because psychopathy, sociopathy, like mm. the multiple, like dissociation, dissociating yourself, which is something he very clearly did. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So Seattle, the 1970s. So there was a sexual revolution, women's liberation, protests over Kent State killings, anti-war sentiment for the Vietnam War, Roe vs. Wade was happening, sex and the single women became popular, and by the way, I want to do an episode on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have like three people from this documentary so far that I want to do an episode on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in the documentary, they point out that men this time were being triggered by rage and a loss of control. So like all this women's liberation was literally oh, like- Oh, what? Really? Right, yeah. What? White supremacy? What? What? People's bodies other than yours belong to you and must submit to you? Like, sorry, sorry. Oh, by the way, vote. Um, So, yeah. So that was like this rage was like loss of control. And honestly, like this made me so I was screaming. Like I was like trying to like watch this documentary and type notes from the Vanity Fair article at the same time. And I stopped, started screaming at the TV for 10 minutes. And that was like, are you okay? But he was right there with me. Because there was this fucking terrible news clip about men ranting about women who were taking self-defense classes, basically saying that if the women fought back, then they would they would fucking kill them. And that was that uh, commonplace. That was that was that was not even half a century ago. No. That is that those those men are some people's fathers right now. Well, Are also some people's granddads right now. Like also that's- it reminded me of a clip of the um, Proud Boys like leader that I saw. So this was a narrative that was fighting back against women taking control and their of their bodies and their autonomies. And honestly, it still is today. Um, but it's we're progressing, and they were starting from ground zero. So I'm not saying that it's any better or worse, but it was just different. So Liz met Ted at the Sandpiper, and then the U District. They fell instantly in love. She was, he was very attractive. She, I think, maybe felt like he was out of her league. They went home together that night, but nothing happened because she was a little too drunk. So they just went to sleep. And um, so I also watched the movie on Netflix. It's extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile, I think is the name. It's a lot of words. Um, and Liz worked very closely with Lily Collins and the director, and we'll get into it a little bit later on that. So it's not completely accurate, but it does... It, it did help me see a lot of like her portrayed mm. her really well that you don't get, mm. like you get to see her talking. So that's like, you know, but I, I did watch that as part of my research. And again, I'm not using that as like verbatim because, but I also kind of cl- figured out between watching these documentaries and reading these Vanity Fair articles, like what was real, what wasn't form, like a more full picture of her. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and it's really creepy in the movie too. They like, and this happened in real life. They like, she fell asleep. She wakes up and like in the movie, her daughter's crib was in her room and she wakes up and her kid's gone. I know. And she goes in and do you want me to keep going or stop? Yeah. No, no. Keep going. Okay. She goes in and he's like making the, he's got, he got the kid up. He was, he, her daughter up Molly. He was making the breakfast and like coffee and stuff and doing completely normal things. But like watching the movie, you're literally like, Oh my God. Like it like stopped yeah. my heart. It just stopped mine because like, I that's know. exactly my situation. Like my, cause you know, like small apartment living, my daughter mm-hmm. Zelda like slept yeah. in my bedroom in mm-hmm. her little bed until she was four. Like That's what I, that's what, that's the first thing I thought of too. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah. And it's like, but he, 
Um, she, you know, this to her was like very impressive. She's very enamored. Um, her coworker described her that day as being giddy. She told him, you can't believe the joy and exhilaration of someone who reflected the way that I was feeling about him back to me, which really like breaks my heart because that's like, I, I really feel like I, I think we could all relate to that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so they instantly became smitten and he became a prominent figure in her daughter's life. Um, he was an instant hit with all the kids in the neighborhood. Like he taught her daughter how to ride a bike. And Molly later said in an interview that he gave you his entire self. And for a kid, that's everything. And it was also really interesting watching interviews with her daughter, too. And I, I like, really... That is, that is who's, really interesting. Who's, like, fi- oh, like, 50 now, right? Yeah. Right. And, um, it, like, you don't... Have, like, she also barely ever comes up in a lot of stuff. No, exactly. And, like, I mean, he had a brother, too. Like, his brother is in the documentary. It's, I mean, it is a really good documentary because you're seeing – it's not about him. It's not – it is, but it's not. Like, it's centered on other people. It's centered on – Around him. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, he is important to talk about. And I think the reason they made this documentary because they were, like, we want to show people that, like, it's not just someone who's, like, outright creepy. Like, it could be anyone. So – Yeah. So, Ted worked – for a republic the republican governor on a campaign he was really into like image and stuff back then so he and liz were invited to this governor's ball and and this was in the 70s yes okay and by the way i know i'm i know i'm speaking about ted here but this is giving you like kind of a a background you're setting the scene yeah. yeah so liz always felt very awkward when they went like would go out and when they went to these balls um, she just felt like she couldn't fit in at, at the governor's ball and she would retreat into herself and drink. And then he would spend the night flattering and smooching. I mean, she, do you want to fit in at a governor's ball? No, it's you don't. really the question. And, and just like, <laughs> Repu- not, not saying Republicans are bad, but it was this like really like staunch rate Republican like governor that was just hardcore, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't think he aligned with what she believed in um so she i mean she was always really like she wasn't she wasn't really like here or there she's kind of right in the middle she wasn't like there was like UW process where they're pushing tractors into holes and stuff she wasn't doing that and she wasn't doing the other thing she was kind of like observing it all i think she always just felt kind of like outside of it but she it was like she was watching everything from she like, had outside. the privilege of watching from the outside yes yes, <laughs> yes exactly so he didn't have the grades to get into law school. So he started like talking his way into it. And he was a smooth talker, obviously. And like one of the women he worked with even said that he was very good at attracting women into his space. He would talk really quietly. So you'd have to lean in and you'd have to be forced into his zone. And the reason I bring this up is because I feel like it's really telling of like how he could bring not just women, like the women that he murdered or attacked, but Liz as well. Like you, he just brings you into your space, his space, like physically. I am like physically repulsed by that. I know my skin is crawling just by that description. And Molly said that she and her mom always felt very lucky that he picked them. And they always felt like the pump, the country cousins in his world. Like, you know, they just always felt out of place. And I, again, this is like, to me, I'm like, this is a screaming abusive relationship, but also obviously because like, but like, and like the way, but not obvious to them, but obviously now. Right. And it's just like, the way to make someone feel that way without being outwardly abusive or telling them that directly is just so calculating. I know. So that he would like 
tell them their clothes, like picked up their clothes, tried to dress them and bring them up to his level. And he, you know, um, and Liz, <laughs> you <always> think him. <laughs> Liz did have warning signs, but she always ignored them. And, and she's, she says this was in part due to her low self-esteem and like Ted was admitting to her and we'll, we'll get into this like a little bit more on her, her warning signs later. Um, Ted was admitting to her that he would steal clothes from Northgate. So he'd like park under, I mean, I don't think Northgate is different now. Yeah. So he's like, at this point, there wasn't that big parking garage. There was like some store that's not there anymore, but he would like go under park under. And then I don't, I don't know. He would steal all these clothes. And she's like, she always felt like she was like, well, I see people steal, steal things on campus. Cause she worked at UW. She was the secretary and she was like, well, maybe I'm just like not part of the cool crowd, you know, doing this, but she did bring it up to him. And she was like, Hey, I, think you should maybe stop and he his literal response was like no i'm never gonna get caught so it's not an issue like he just didn't think he would get caught with anything and, and i thought that was a fear of repercussion and no yeah right no fear of repercussion means like we all know <laughs> okay and honestly i literally wrote rant after this paragraph so just be prepared to be really fucking pissed after i say this okay so remember at this time there's a lot of victim blaming a lot so yeah mad. i don't even know if i'm able to say this When one of his first victims disappeared, the police actually said that she might have run off with her boyfriend or she was off getting a fucking abortion is what they they said it. Because this was like during women's liberation and like abortions had just become legal. So they were like, oh, maybe she got a fucking abortion. I added the word fucking. But that's it. So they said she either ran off with her boyfriend or she got an abortion kind of tongue in cheek. Yeah, no, they saying, were like, no, it's fine. And then they found like alluding found, to who she was. And, and they like, found mass amounts of blood in her bed and in her closet. And then they were like, okay. And the door had been locked from the in, like the inside too. I don't know. I, I, yeah, it's 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 really creepy. But he just, yeah, he everything. And I'm not gonna get into like his murders. I'm not gonna get into that. I will do say that a lot of his um, victims look very similar to Liz, which I think was another like that's just so chilling. I know. It was like straight brown hair, like part in the middle, and they was like, their glasses. She didn't have glasses, but some of them did. His his wife did have big, like That's big old glasses. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to place big that, right? old glasses. <laughs> they were like bigger than her face. Yeah, it just everything was just about pure control, sexual control. It just yeah. And we're not going to talk about it, but if you want to know more, you can look it up. There's plenty of information about it. So things began, like, after the murder started, things began to get weird with Ted. There was a big rift between them because she really wanted to marry him and he didn't want to commit. So they like, was even a time where they went to get a marriage license and he ripped it up in front of her. It's like, why? What? That's, like, obsessive. Yeah. And so, like, he showed up two hours late to her daughter's baptism that she was super excited about and... Oh, he, he explained it as car trouble, and she says later in the interview, like, I literally never even thought that he was, like, dumping bodies, and that's exactly what he was doing, because he would dump them up, yeah. Because, like, car trouble with, like, come on. Yeah, he, okay, and even still, when you're describing Ted Bunny in, like, this, you know, kind of domestic setting, I'm like, what a dick. He didn't show yeah. up to, like, well, his, like his, his girlfriend's daughter's baptism, and then all of a sudden we were like, because he was dumping bodies. You're just like, holy crap. Even though you know that's what Ted Bundy does when you're describing him in this domestic setting, yeah. it's still easy to forget the level that he 
is no. that right? And I do apologize because I know I didn't want this this like to be that much about Tabundi, and I know it is, but like we really have to talk about the way Manipulated manipulated his way into her life, and I think that it's important to see these patterns because we can see these patterns were reflecting and the ways that he was stalking his victims and the way that he was in his relationship with her yeah, as well. No, I agree. Yeah. So she, she began to notice strange things. So she was, she says in this documentary that there was one time, and this is, I'll just put in this context for you eight days before the killing at uh, lakes is Lake Sammamish. They were rafting on a river. And if anyone's ever like been to Seattle, been to Washington, like, you know, how, how crazy, like if you're going rafting, not just tubing, those rivers are pretty strong and they're fucking cold at the beginning of July. So they were on this raft. They used to do that all the time. And he just all of a sudden pushed her off the raft into the freezing water. And she was shocked. And she was like, you know, she jumped, she looked back and she said that she saw him. He was far away. He had just a completely blank expression. He didn't offer to help her. He wasn't laughing. He wasn't doing anything. His eyes were just blank. And so she, like, grabbed on the life raptor and got herself up. But she was, like, pissed at him. And they didn't, like, they, I think they, they were on and off. They, I think, maybe broke up at this time. But, of course, she, you know, was like, what the fuck? Because that was an actually very interesting thing to do. But she just said that this look in his eyes, like, caught her. Eight days later, he committed two murders at Lake Sammamish. And that was really shook the community. And even, like, everyone, like, it was in the paper... And this is where they started getting that picture of him. But he actually called Liz that night. She said he called her. And she was kind of shocked that he called her because they were kind of broken up at the time because she was still mad at him for pushing her off into, like, the river and being crazy, which is understandable. Yeah. And he, they, like, went to a bowling alley. He was like, let's go out to eat. She went to a bowling alley. And she, they were eating burgers. And she noticed that his eyes were just really close together. And he had that same look. And they, he ended up... My, like, my, my, like, I'm tingling down to my I know. right now. I know. Like, that's insane. And she literally could be any of us. I know. I know. And after this day, police put a composite sketch in the papers, and his name, Ted, was going out, right? So she and Liz found this article. Someone dropped it on our desk. And she was like, oh, my God. And she went, she went they into her. They dropped it on her desk because they said, this sounds like your boyfriend? Or they just dropped it on her desk? Uh, I don't know. But they, they, dro- they like, someone went up to her and handed it her and said, does this look like anyone you know? So I think it was like they, and she just went white. And so she said she went into her closet and she looked through all her pictures and she found one that looked identical and then she's like, she and her friend got together and she's like, doesn't this like look like him? And they were like, oh my God. So Liz being the badass that she is, she actually ended up calling. Like she called the cops and she gave his name and there was over 300 names. So they didn't, they wrote it down, but they said like, it wasn't the right car. They kind of like dismissed it. And it wasn't until he ended up going to Utah, which is really hard because he got accepted to law school in Utah and then, which I thought was weird because she was from Utah, too. I don't know if there's some connection there, but there's got to be. I'm sure there is. There's got to be, you know. She and Molly were very devastated that he didn't really want them. She was like, well, do you want us to come with you? And he's like, if you want, which is like, that was like, oh, my God, of course. I just, yes, that sounds familiar. Like, I've heard that before. So, they, you know, they were devastated. And even Molly said, like, she was devastated because they, like, the first 
couple of years of their relationship were pretty good. And then it was just like she and even Liz was like, it's like an, an addiction. You start looking at the good things and you just want to get it back to it. And I think we can all relate to that, too. Um, mm-hmm. So he moved to Utah and then these killings started happening there, which is um, and he actually what like hit the nail in the coffin. Actually, there was really no coffin at that point because the police were like dismissed his name, but they had it down. He got pulled over for running a stop sign in Utah. And he, he, he did have, like, the same car, but just, I, it wasn't the same color, maybe. But he got pulled over, and the police found all his, like, murder paraphernalia. So they found, like, an axe and, like, ski mask and, like, rope and all this shit. So they, they connected these murders to Seattle. And, you know, Liz's friend came up to her and was like, dude, it's happening in Utah, too, now. And Molly, and again, this is very upsetting but molly talks about how after this he came i think he came home to visit from utah and she was i think home alone with him and she found him under a blanket they were playing kind of secret something and she pulled off the blanket and he was completely naked ah i know and she said she like she was like that's not okay like you know and he said oh well it's because i'm invisible they couldn't have my clothes and yeah, and it was like this, and she was like, I didn't, I just, I didn't tell my mom because I didn't want him to leave. And so Aww. he was not only, I know, it was not only manipulative to Liz, who's very manipulative of Almost the daughter, like he was, too. He was trying his boundaries with her. Mm-hmm. That's what it sounds like, right? It's like, yeah. if I do this and she doesn't say anything, what else can I do? I know. Right? Yeah. And so he, so Liz did stay with him. Even while these murders were happening in Utah and she suspected him? She stayed with him for a while because she didn't, she, she suspected him, but she, but honestly, they were kind of like, they were kind of like off and on. Like they were like, they were like together, but not together. Like she's still but honestly like who expects their boyfriend to be a murderer? No. You know what uh, I mean? Like I wouldn't believe my boyfriend was a murderer no matter how weird they were. Right. No, I know. Yeah. So yeah, she, I mean, she was kind of like blaming on herself. Like maybe it's my fault. Maybe I did this. Maybe I'm doing this wrong. I know. And uh, again, very relatable. Like I, right. So she had a hard time letting herself believe that he was this monster, especially, especially since like all the women looked like her. And I really relate to this. I'm not going to get into specifics, but you know what I'm talking about from when you first met me. So, and again, not, not murder, but Liz began drawing coincidence to events in her life. So, and this is from a Vanity Fair article that I found, like, right before we were about to go on. I was like, ah! Um, she, she had once found plaster Paris in his apartment, and he always used a fake cast. She had found crutches, and he used those to lure women to him. And these were all, like, things she was connecting after, right? Like, not, like, she was kind of like, this is weird, this is weird, this is weird. But then after, she's like, oh, holy shit. Yeah. Um, she even talked about a time where she reached underneath his car seat and found a hatchet. And was like, what the fuck? And Bundy said that he needed to use it to cut down a tree for his parents. And she was like, I mean, I mean, that's kind of like, I mean, that's also kind of understandable. I mean, like, unless I'm, not, you knew. I'm not gonna lie, like, in my, not- I have, I have like a hiking tub in the back of my truck, and inside that hiking right? tub, I have a machete yeah. and a hatchet because you have a machete. That's cool, right? Right? Yeah, that's really cool. But yeah, and so. She began at this time drinking more and more, and eventually she began ended up becoming a full fledged alcoholic during his trial. But she was able to get sober, and Good she's been her. sober for decades. Yep, yeah, since his trial. So, um, in the 
I couldn't find anything about this, and I did look, um, and also didn't finish the documentary, but I, which I'm going to do. But it's like five or six hours long, and I had an anatomy test this weekend. But um, she, so she in the in the movie, the Zac Efron movie, she's remarries, and I think she, I think she might have, but I don't think like her, I don't, I don't know if she did in real life. Um, I think I'm now it's like it's been a Hollywood thing being like, oh, she has to have a man to get this and this and this. Like she couldn't have done this on her own or with a therapist, but she might have remarried too because it like the guy in the movie is really sweet. And it was uh Haley Joel Osment played him. Oh. He's so cute and he's just like so sweet. So when the movie and then the movie, like so she wrote a book in the eighties called The Phantom Prince, My Life with Ted Bundy. And She's re-releasing it because she just, like, she says she looks back now and cringes. And I think she's done, like, obviously you would have to. She's done a ton of work on herself. Very close with therapists. I think Molly as well. Um, But she also, like, I just imagine, like, not only having, going through this, but then, like, having this just be this huge spot. Like, this literally defined a generation. And then, like, you're, you're in this spotlight Unfortunately, but like, and, but like, just as a footnote, you know that yeah. you're a footnote. Like that has yeah. to be tough. Well, yeah, but you're a footnote, but you're always attached. You're like a footnote that's like on every page. Mm-hmm. But you're, but also to the other thing too, I think that must have been really hard for her, is that women were obsessed with him. Like he even had a woman like come to him and marry him and then get pregnant while he was in jail. Women were coming to these things like they were obsessed with him. He was just so I, manipulative. I think, and- I think that's something that we have to explore because like even Marilyn Man- um what sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> Got to cut that part out. Marilyn <laughs> 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 Manson not Marilyn <laughs> Manson right up there with you like No, like, no, 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 he's not. I love Marilyn Manson. I Charles- love Dita Von Tess, not Marilyn. All right, okay, yeah, that's true. I love Dita Von Tess more. But anyway, her wedding dress was on the wall of my room, my high school room. Um her in a cocktail glass is always in my mind. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Right. Yes. Uh, I'm thinking of Charles Manson. Like he even yes. to this day has young women. No, he I, died. He's dead. He oh, died. sorry. Well, you know I what think. I mean? Until recently. I think he died. I, I think he died. I'm pretty sure he did. Okay. But like, I'm talking even into his old age though. He had yeah. some like no, young and woman thing. and I just don't understand people's well, fascination. Like we do have this like obsession with serial killers, but it's also, I think for me, it's like, how do I protect myself? That's it. What can I look for? What about them? What can I look for in a man? Like, did he have this? Did he have this? Did he have this? Like, you know, Oh, he was setting fire to animals. Yeah. That's probably like a warning sign, you know, like we, I think, I think that's part of my fascination with it. And I think a lot of people maybe be like, you know, we have so many red flags that we ignore, but, like, which red flags do you need to be, like, ooh? Well, also, like, okay, this might be, like, me completely just spitballing here, but I heard a really cute thing from, uh, I was um, finally getting to watch Wilderness of Lies. Wilderness okay. of, no, 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 except I was finally getting to watch Wilderness of Errors. I don't and, know what that is, but um, Yeah, it's this really cool documentary about a book that, or about a, book that was written by Errol Morris and Errol Morris is that really famous documentarian. He's really cool. I really enjoy him. Phoebe judge. Um, oh yeah. Like criminal her. just did an episode podcast episode on him. But anyways, he said something that hit it on the head for me about true crime. And he's like, you want to know why people listen, watch, learn about true crime. 
We like to see goodness prevail. Mm-hmm. We yeah. want to see good Trump evil. And also, he's like, we like to give evil, like he, he was explaining how we like to give evil a face and a name. And when we know about true crime, when we listen to true crime, it becomes tangible. Evil is just not some force flowing out there. It's like something that's more tangible to us. And I, again, again, I'm probably completely spitballing here, but like it just no, made that makes sense. Right? I, that's Didn't why it? I like that's why I like Generation Y because I feel like they really talk about the victims, and a lot of times they talk about like things that have happened since the murders. You know, Matt's not interested in true crime at all, but I'll be like, tell him about this episode. I'm like, it's really cool because like this happened, like. This, yeah, for, for you me. know, this nonprofit started because of it. And like, right, blah, blah, right. Blah, blah, blah. Like, that's and what I, I think is really cool. And I'm not interested in true crime for true crime's sake. Yeah. Like, is there some where I was, I was listening to a bunch of Generation Y while we were packing up our house in Washington. And then I was like, dude, like, our house is like, our house has been like, you know, stolen from before. I was like, I can't do this. Like, I'm in here alone. Like, <laughs> like okay. So when, the movie with Zac Efron was made. No one, originally, no one had asked Liz about it. She, you know, things had kind of been quiet. And when this started, like, coming up again, she's like, really? Like, again? Like, so she went back to therapy. And there's really, like, I know that's a big jump in, in time. And we're going to circle back a little bit. But so she worked closely. So she went, her attorneys cut, like, a deal with the movie director. But they were like, she has to be cut in on this. Like, you guys need to do this so she worked really closely with lily collins who played her in the movie um and she was actually and the director and she was really happy with the income outcome so that's another reason why i kind of use this movie as like a base bone because i was like you know this is something Mm -hmm. that she worked really closely with and that actually inspired her to do the documentary um which is like the first time that she's really spoken out since the 80s and i think the 80s she did say that when she looked back her book she realized she still had feelings for ted because she wasn't over him. And I understand that. You're like, you, you can't wrap your head around that. Like, like I mean, I really can, right? No one. Yeah. So she said that, yeah, the Me, Me Too movement really inspired her. She also liked the take on the documentary. So it's less about Ted Bundy and more about analyzing the cultural backdrop, mm-hmm. um, as we talked about. And she told Vandy Fair, quote, I just feel like the timing was right because we were seeing and hearing women take back their lives by telling the truth about what has happened to them. I mean, I have a hard time and still carry a lot of shame about having even loved the guy. I can't seem to get rid of it totally, but it helped to watch other women talk about things that happened to them. And yeah, I mean, honestly, I think I, I wish she didn't have to have shame because she didn't do anything wrong. Right. You know, like she, I, I would say that she was, yeah, she was it was an abusive relationship and there should be no shame in that at all. Um, of course there there always is, but there shouldn't be. And she said she was struggling with what was real and what wasn't, which is a completely understandable in that scenario. And doing the documentary really helped her look at her decisions. She even went back and rewrote the the Phantom Prince. Oh, uh, when she wrote the book in the eighties, she was still viewing him as the same guy. Like she hadn't seen him as someone different shouldn't come right. to terms with it yeah no i mean i i don't know how you ever could i i think she's like amazing and, and strong and i really really admire her she and her daughter have talked a lot about what to do with like they have all this bundy paraphernalia obviously like people are obsessed with serial killers and they're like we really don't understand it like we lived it like why why so they've also ultimately decided to do nothing more quote 
why we want to put out into the universe more Ted Bundy when he was just this, just this horrible man who caused so much pain for so many families. Agreed. It's, yeah. cra- it's kind of interesting how I feel like they're a rarity, how they didn't capitalize on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I I really admire them. I mean, for I know it. I know she wrote a book, but it, it obviously wasn't that sensational of a book because I've never heard of it. I know I like the title though, Phantom Prince. Yeah, um, she must have been. No, the Phantom Menace. I was like, I wonder if the Phantom Menace's title was inspired. No, Phantom no. Menace. No. Yeah, no, no, but the books came out before. Ig- books came out before, that. but but ig- cut this part out. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so Lily Collins, who played Liz, said that the project was so intense that she started waking up at three o five a.m. during pre-production, and she believed it was the ghost of his victims, which. I can understand. Quote, I discovered that 3 a.m. is a time when the veil between the realms is the thinnest and no one can be visited. I didn't feel scared. I felt supported. I felt like people were saying, we're here listening. We're here to support. Thank you for telling the story. End quote. And that's a quote she told Vandy Fair. And I I do think that that's, that, you know, we talked about this in the last episode. That movie, a lot of people were like, what the fuck? Like, why? Like, Zac Efron? Like, it's like sensationalizing it. It's not. It really isn't. Um, I think that it's showing, and that was their, their take on it too. It's like, it's showing how someone like, of course, Zach Efron is like so charismatic and he's so like, you're attracted to him. He's very attractive. It shows how it can happen and how, like, even I watching the movie, the whole movie, I was like, was Ted Bundy framed? I literally thought that the whole movie until the end. Like that's how they that's how they showed it, and I think that's what everyone was thinking, and that's why I think they did a good job because it was and it was centered around her, like what she was experiencing. So that's why I really like that movie, and I watched it for you know I, I'd seen it before. I watched it for a second time the other night, and I just I love the ending of it. And uh, spoiler alerts: I'm going to talk about the ending right now because I'm going to talk about how it actually happened in real life. So if you haven't seen the movie and you want to stop, <laughs> spoiler alerts. So in the ending, like, again, like I said, like, if I didn't know it was Ted Bundy, I don't, I, I would have thought he was innocent because that's how it seems throughout the whole show. Cause it's, it's really about, it starts with him in jail. Like that's how it starts. And that does flashbacks. So like it's the very beginning, like the first scene is her seeing him like 30 years later, he's on death row or 20 years later. 10 years. I don't know. He's on death row. She goes to visit him. That's the very first scene in the movie. And she says, do you remember the night we met? And then like flashes back between that and that. And then it goes back and like tells a little story. And then we get to that. And like, she goes to see him on death row and she has this picture of a woman. And she says, what happened to her head? Cause the picture is of a headless woman. And he writes on the glass. He like blows on it and he writes hacksaw. And as he's writing Hacksaw, it, like, flashes back to him doing it and him actually, like, with his cast, having her come, taking her body out into the woods. And then you just see her run out of the room and break down. And that was just, like, so raw, so emotional to me. I, again, like, I can't imagine what she was going through with this level. But it just, it felt really real. And I really related to that. So that was not what happened in real life. But... I think it was really well done in the movie because it was the first part in the movie where I was like, oh, I mean, I knew he did it, but it was like the first time where I, as a viewer, connected the reality of it. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? 
Mm-hmm. So in real life, she call, he actually did call. He called her on death row, and they talked. And basically, she asked him, and he basically admitted it. He was like, "Yes, I have this sickness." And she was like, "Why didn't you kill me?" And he was like, "I tried." He said he tried one time. He felt the sickness coming on, and he set a fire in their apartment. And he like plugged up the flu and smoke, and she what? ended up yeah. And she ended up waking up, and it wasn't like he didn't obviously try hard, but he think I think he. Had, I mean, again, trying is still trying, not trying, try, but like, yeah, he could have killed her if he wanted to, but mm-hmm. he told her that like he had this sickness, and they said that she just like sat in her apartment alone after that, like you know, just having someone admit that to you, and like she all these things that she'd pieced together. I mean, I think it was really well done in the movie, and I think it was a more dramatic kind of version of what happened. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been interesting to to have them. I think I think they should have put the fire scene in the movie. That's like the one thing I think they should have put because I think that that. But I think the way they did it was well. But um, yeah, I just and and she was like had to remember that she woke up. She like opened the window, but he felt like he had this sickness in him, and he felt it coming on. And as we talked about earlier, she had like seen it in him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, like during rafting. Yeah. And the day he killed the two women, they were together that night. And so, yeah, I I know, again, like I've said, I know that this episode centered largely around Ted, like Liz's relationship with Ted, but that is mostly what her life is. And I wish there was like a lot more available about her. She met him when she was really young still. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest of her life was defined by her relationship with him. No, it really was. And like, honestly, uh, yeah, again, like I said, it's really relatable in a lot of ways because just having been in a manipulative relationship and especially emotionally abusive relationship, one that I realized like was deceitful like two actually that I was lied to the entire time. It, I don't know. This, it really, it really spoke to me. So uh, that's, that's what we're talking about. I, I honestly, I wish I had more for you and yeah, the documentary is really good. You guys should all watch it. I just included like the portions of it that, like I didn't really know real quickly before we get away. So I, my sources for this, I read a Vanity Fair article by Julie Miller and actually two Vanity Fair articles by Johanna Desta. And then also watched falling for a killer on Amazon prime and then extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile on Netflix. Wow. That this just like, it wasn't just you, but like, it just left me with more questions. No, I know. Right? Like, I really want to go read The Phantom Prince. I really want to read it, too. I honestly, the reason I didn't is because I I don't have a library card. I probably would have checked it out and looked at it. But I also think that that might not have been the most, well, actually, it may have been, I don't know if it would have been more or less accurate. Because she was writing that from the view. In the early 80s. I think it's really interesting to look at, yeah, to look at, like, Mm -hmm. how she viewed him then and how she's, like, viewing him now with time. But right, I, yeah. Right? Like honestly, like the only thing that really gives you perspective when something like that is time. <laughs> I know, and honestly, like I think it's like her calling. Like if she hadn't called, he wouldn't have been caught. He could have kept killing. He could have been killing. So now. Her, her tip did lead to his eventual. Yes, capture. eventually. Okay. Yes, eventually. But his her tip. I mean, her tip put his name 
on the Seattle Police Department's list. So when Utah started to connect, like they had, you, Seattle had the serial killer. He left. The killing stopped. Started in Utah. So then they pulled, like happened to pull him over when they connected. And that's them. how his name became like, oh, he is in Utah. Yeah. And that's how, like, well, it's like, yeah. And then it was like everywhere he went, it started happening. Like, it was like he was in Colorado and then in Florida. And and he actually escaped twice, which is crazy, too. He was in Aspen. Oh, yeah. 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 So I guess also, like, if anyone has any further resources on her, like, reach out to us. Because obviously this is one of those things where, like, Emily and I, you know, we do our best to do our research. We proclaim to be amateur historians. And obviously there is a lot more out on Elizabeth that we want to know. But like, if you have any good resources, we would love to do like a recap later on too with more that we found out. Cause like Emily was saying, like there's huge gaps in her history. Yeah. And this honestly became, even became more than a mini. So like with just what we have, but like I did spend out like, time trying to find what I can on her. Um, I think it was also more important because you were really trying to portray her as like a person with a personality and humanity. And I think that was really important. You were really trying to do that. Yeah. And I wish I had more information, but I honestly, the biggest thing I wanted to get across here. And I think it's like, obviously seen in these documentaries is that like, I think a lot of us can relate to her. Like, I know I can like extra, like so many ways. And it's, shocking like even like I, I even told Matt I was like I'm freaked out by how many connections like even that like he murdered girls in my sorority like mm-hmm. and then he went to my school and then like that it just freaks me out I don't know right but right but it's like it just shows you that yeah you can and like I think follow your gut yep yeah follow your gut especially as a woman your instinct is pretty fine-tuned follow yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay well, this <laughs> this is Harlots of History. We will record the ending later because we don't know what we're doing next. Hi, Harlots. We just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to Harlots of History. If you like what you heard today, please go and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so we can keep bringing you more salacious, scandalous Harlots. Our music is Nia Proxis, Frank Riddick by Lloyd Rogers from freemusicarchive.com. And our cover art and editing is by us. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> we love suggestions, tips, tricks, or just salacious details you think are interesting. So please reach out to us on Instagram at Harlots of History Podcast or on Twitter at History Harlot. Or email us at harlotsofhistorypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And remember, be a harlot, not a hater. Bye. Bye. That was cute.